Hello, welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast where we share stories, insights and strategies that go beyond some of the numbers we encounter in our work life. I'm Susan Lee-Trivon. I work with organisations who put people first. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. And together with my guests, we place a lens on and focus in on the people side of work life. Because we know that it is people who do the work, not numbers. And if we are treated well, we will perform well and might even generate better numbers. Welcome to the latest episode of Life Beyond the Numbers. And today I am, I would say, excited. That's how I feel. I feel excited today to speak to Shun Prohaska. Shun, you are so welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers. Thank you. I share in that excitement with you. Thank Brilliant. you for having me on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope the excitement comes through in our conversation. I think it will somehow. When I started to work for myself a couple of years ago, I did a couple of courses and one of them was a course at Oxford called Brain and Behaviour. And it was in the psychology department and it was just like this massive awakening into how our brain works. And it set me on a path of really understanding or I shouldn't say really understanding, trying to understand how people's brains work and how different we can be. And Shun's business is called Uniquely Wired Coaching. And I'm going to talk to Shun about being uniquely wired as well. So Shun, where did this interest into the brain and wiring come from? Well, certainly in the last I would say almost 20 years, I've been very interested in behavior, much like yourself and and how the brain works. And I worked for 14 years with people with differently wired brains. I mean, we all have differently wired brains, just like fingerprints. Everyone's brain is different. The physiological structure is different down to different factors influencing that. But the people I worked with were mostly on the autistic spectrum and various other types of cognitive differences and abilities. And I spent a lot of time thinking about their behavior, about my behavior, about the work we were doing. And I guess it became very clear to me through my experience of working with them and through different kinds of trainings I did along the way that particularly with the young people who displayed challenging behavior or behavior that differs, that diverges from the norm or from the socially acceptable. What became very clear was that all behavior is communication, no matter if it's challenging or if it doesn't challenge you at all, if it's pleasant, unpleasant, whatever it is, all behavior is communication. And so I guess I was lucky in a way because I worked in Camp Hill community, which is a more alternative view of the individual and of how people 
present themselves and uh, how differently wired people present themselves. And that was very accepting. And we were taught to, to think outside the box when it came to dealing with this behavior and really listening and really thinking, well, what happened before this person had a meltdown or this person bit me? Oh, we were somewhere really noisy, actually, and they're nonverbal. So they weren't able to tell us that. And that noise for people with noise sensitivity, like people with autism or ADHD, can be extremely upsetting. So if you couple that with the fact that you can't verbalize that, and the person who's meant to be looking after you is completely unaware that you're upset and you want to go somewhere quiet, of course, you're going to do something extreme to get their attention. That's completely natural to do. So that really took, I suppose, the fear out of it for me. The more I paid attention, the more confident I became that I was more attuned to them and more prepared for these kind of situations. Yeah, as you're talking there, I'm thinking about the classic toddler in the supermarket who's down on the ground screaming, bringing the house down. And of course, they can't communicate with you what's going on either. And we were probably quick to go, oh, that child, blah, 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 rather than thinking what led to it, what's underneath, what's the underlying cause of that behavior. Yeah, absolutely. What are they trying to communicate? Yeah, exactly. It's true. It's very, very true. And so then Mm. when you have an adult who has got a tantrum. (laughs) Meltdown, yeah. Meltdown of whatever is going on as well, or behaves in a way that you find irrational or unacceptable socially, there is probably, actually there is an explanation. There is an underlying Mm. cause that... I don't think, I certainly know I was never thought to look for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's something that you see more and more in social media now, depending on who you follow. In the last sort of 10 to 15 years, I suppose there's been an explosion of information in child development and people are neurodiverse, if you like, people who are differently wired. And being more considerate and more tolerant, I think, is the kind of message that's coming across. Because I think often people like carers or parents or whatever, it can be taken personally. Behavior can feel like it's personal to the person who's witnessing it. But it's not like that. It's the person who's experiencing it. And the more upset that the person looks, you got to remember that's exactly how they're feeling. And possibly they're feeling a lot worse than they're able to express. And that's something to keep in mind. Wow. Yeah. So it's like the tip of the iceberg is perhaps what you're seeing as opposed to what's really going on, what the flight or fright or fear, not flight or fright, it's a good one though, but the flight or fight (laughs) response is showing. Yes, or whatever it might be, like unfairness or a feeling of missing out on something or disappointment or sadness, anger, all of those kind of things. Yeah, if it can't be verbalized, then all of that frustration, what you're seeing being played out in front of you is definitely just the outside of what's really going on down below it's just a representation and I think you can say that as well if somebody is smiling and nodding in agreement just because they're smiling and nodding in agreement it doesn't mean that they're happy about something or that they agree no exactly exactly you the only way you're going to know how somebody feels is if they tell you yeah or you check with them because I think yeah 
Yeah, because often people won't want to tell you. So sometimes you have to ask as well, don't you? It's a two-way thing. It's communication. It is. Yeah, it is a two-way thing. Absolutely. And it's interesting because I've heard you speak about Elisa Feldman Barrett and the research that she's been doing around emotions and how what somebody's facial expression gives out is is not always accurate. And there are different factors that influence that, like culture and what's acceptable, basically. And it's not always how it looks, unless, as I just said, as you were saying, unless the person explicitly says or asked how they're feeling and they tell you. Then also on top of that, if you have something like a brain wiring that is very difficult, that means it's very difficult for the individual to express how they're feeling like autism or ADHD. They might say what they think you want to hear. They might not know how they feel about something. And there's a whole load of emotions swirling around. And so They might be sensitive enough to pick up on maybe what you're hoping they say, or they might imagine what you're hoping they'll say with that really high sensitivity. So there's so many variables, really, when you think about it. Yeah, no, there are. I mean, I wonder how we get anything done at all in this world. (laughs) Sometimes when you think about all the different types of personalities you can have in a single workplace, I like to imagine that everybody's in a bumper car and they're all going around and obviously when you're in the bumper cars half the thing is to bump into other people and cause them to jerk and it's all for fun but actually in a workplace you're bumping into people all the time without even realizing it and causing (laughs) all of this consternation but we still manage to get things done Yes. Yeah, it's true. That's that's such a lovely analogy. The the bumper cars, it's brilliant. It's so accurate as well. Yeah, because you could have people doing the same project or working on the same thing, but coming at it with completely different angles or somebody misheard or misconstrued a comment from somebody else and their feelings are hurt, but yet they're masking how they're really feeling because they don't want to seem like complaining or they don't want to seem weak and I'm using air quotes with weak and so they just plow on through and uh, something that might have been a wonderful experience for one person could have been really difficult for the person right next to them and perhaps that went on without it being communicated at all which is so sad isn't it it is yeah it is I really believe it's more common than people it's something that people don't talk about much but I think it's extremely common just how has some of us are far more sensitive than others. It's not a something that's really socially acceptable. I think it's sort of coming out now, the sort of social shame or stigma of being hyper sensitive. I don't know if you know about like highly sensitive people mm-hmm. are. Yeah. But also like people with ADHD and autism, people who are neurodiverse. So neurodiverse meaning people who have HD, autism, dyspraxia, dyslexia, basically who are wired differently and neurodivergent, that's kind of the same as neurodiverse, but neurotypical are people who don't have differently wired brains like autism or ADHD or something diagnosable like that. But typically people with ADHD and autism are extremely, extremely hypersensitive And there's something called rejection sensitivity, dysphoria, or RSD for short. Dysphoria is Latin for unbearable. So if you are somebody who has 
ADHD or autism who has grown up always feeling different and not really understanding why maybe you got a late diagnosis or whatever, but this daily messages that you got from people around you, maybe that if you weren't able to focus in school, if you would lose your temper really quickly, there are so many things that I could go into there. But basically you grow up feeling different or knowing you're different, but it's not something that other people always pick up around you. And it might come across as, oh, they're a bit slow or they don't care or they're a daydreamer or all of that. And those messages, you pick up on them because you're so, you're you're wired to fit in, right? To survive, to fit in with people around us, especially socially. And females are much more astute at picking up on social cues and at masking. So masking their neurological difference. So basically, if somebody says something that you perceive, even if you just perceive it to be criticism or judgment, it can just feel like you've been punched in the gut. <laughs> it's it's and I'm, I'm laughing because it's like that that kind of example doesn't do it justice. It just feels like you're bowled over and you're pinned down by this thought and it spreads around your brain like wildfire. And it completely, like my colleagues and I would say, it holds your brain hostage. This thought or this feeling that you just got from something that somebody said, it could have been a throwaway comment. It could have been constructive criticism. It doesn't matter. Because you've spent so long working really hard trying to fit in into a world that wasn't made for you. And, and it's exhausting in itself to try and fit in and be behave like everyone else or behave like you think is acceptable, work really, really hard on projects, often twice as hard as people who aren't neurodiverse, because maybe it was a lack of interest or lack of confidence or whatever it was, perfectionism, you often will expend a lot more energy than people who are neurotypical. So this feeling of rejection or judgment or perceived rejection or judgment is very strong and it's like an attack or something it's the only way I can describe it and it can go on for hours if it's not caught in time it just spreads like I said earlier like wildfire around your brain and with something like ADHD we have less filters in our brain naturally so we tend to feel things with more intensity so there is a lot <laughs> I, f- I feel what's like stuff coming through the computer almost at me here and okay which is really interesting well there's a couple of things like what you said about holding your brain hostage I mean that's a fabulous description I think for people and I think about rumination I suppose when somebody can't let something go so it sounds a little bit like that but also the perception because quite often perception is reality for people, you know, what we perceive as yes. being real yes. is real. We feel it yes. as real, whether it is or isn't or meant to be or not, it is. Now, I suppose, as I said, I can feel emotion coming through the, the airwaves. So this is obviously more that for you than just being interested in people who are uniquely wired. It's also you have had a diagnosis. Yes. Yeah. I was diagnosed at 35 with ADHD and oh my gosh. And I think the way I can describe it is that everything fell apart and came together all at once. (laughs) Everything just 
made sense. It all made sense. And for people listening who maybe have had a diagnosis and are familiar with this, you get a diagnosis from the psychologist or whichever expert has diagnosed you. But that's the tip of the iceberg. So you're sent off with this diagnosis and there's plenty of information online, but a part of having ADHD is being (laughs) overwhelmed all the time and not knowing where to start or not knowing what you need to know. And that particular trait can show up in school or in work with not knowing what is essential to include in something. It could be information or passing something on to somebody. You might not think to pass on the most important detail. You might keep it in your head and it won't occur to you to say it out loud. And it can be something that would bring on criticism or a feeling of shame afterwards. You realize, oh my gosh, I went home and realized that I forgot to tell them this really important thing and they're presenting it tomorrow or whatever. So yeah, it was overwhelming being diagnosed. And for a time, I definitely felt grief, you know, like what if this had happened when I was a child? What if Ireland had been more with it in the 80s and 90s, a bit more forward thinking? And how different could my life have been? And it was a very emotional time to get that diagnosis. You feel very raw and very vulnerable. For some people, they just straight away are delighted, overjoyed. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is brilliant. Now I can stop being hard on myself. And yeah, that definitely is part of it as well. But for some, it can take a few months to a year to accept it and even tell people. Some people never tell people as well. I didn't talk about it, I don't think, for a while, actually. And I remember the first time I publicized it on Instagram, I was terrified. Sure, now you wouldn't think anything of it. Like, But I think as well, it, even since I was diagnosed, people are becoming more tolerant. People are becoming more educated. Some people I work with were like, oh, I realized when I watched loads of TikTok videos that I have ADHD. So there's so many different ways that people can get information and stuff now. So some people want to get a diagnosis. Some people need it. But interesting enough, you know, apparently only 10% of people with ADHD are actually diagnosed. That's the statistics that research is showing, which is very interesting because even if you don't know that you know someone with ADHD or somebody who is struggling, maybe in work or certainly their personal life, you most likely do know somebody. You just don't know it. And that's the thing with neurodiverse conditions. You can't see it. It's not like you have a wheelchair or visually impaired stick or aid or you sign language or whatever. You, you're going around and you're looking like everyone and you're talking like everyone, but the difference is all happening inside your head. And there's an awful lot going on there at any given point. And that's the loneliest part of it. I think the most isolating part is knowing there's something different about you, but maybe not knowing what or not knowing if it's going to be accepted or understood by even loved ones, not to mind colleagues or anything like that. So there's so much in there. I hardly know where to start, but there was a couple of things that came out. And I think, well, first of all, you said approximately only 10% of people with ADHD are diagnosed. Is there an average percentage of the population that might have ADHD? So do we know that 10% of the population have ADHD and then only... 10% 10% of them have been diagnosed. I don't know. Yeah, no, I know no, there no. are. I, I have read them. I have read them, but I, I can't remember. I can't, something like 8%. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there ADHD. we go. That's a perfect example. <laughs> 
it's going to be the same in different countries around the world. But I know certainly like I've read things on the ADHD Ireland website. They have some some statistics like that. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. No. Yeah, I'm just thinking about a workplace. So an average workplace probably yes. has at least one person depending well again it, it depends I, mean, I suppose it's the numbers isn't it and we're talking about life beyond the numbers but sometimes just thinking well actually if if one in every 10 people you know has ADHD then if you mm-hmm. look in your workplace and you work with 20 people chances are two people in there have ADHD they might not know so there's no way you're going to know either but it's also just making sure that your workplace is set up in a way that is easy for everyone to work in that everyone yes. is accepted and everybody is tolerated and that you've got patience towards the different ways that people behave absolutely absolutely you mentioned tolerance there which is also for me thinking out your words before you say them yes speaking with kindness to people because you don't know what word or a few words or a comment that you make might be devastating to somebody. Maybe there was a different way you could have said it. If you do know that there are people in your workplace, and if you don't, then why not do it? If you don't know equally, why not do it as well? Putting more thought into our words. Because like I was talking about earlier, that RSD episode, holding our brains hostage, how can somebody possibly focus on their work if they're absolutely torn up inside and really suffering for maybe even hours at a time? And they might be able to hide it you might not know to look at them. It is very difficult to be in a workplace, especially with being neurodiverse. If you have noise sensitivity, if there's somebody clicking a pen or tapping something or eating out loud you know, with their mouth open or whatever, those kind of sounds. Or there might be roadworks outside. This person might have a deadline which is a certain amount of pressure. So people with ADHD, especially, there's like the joke, like you're leaving, oh, I did it all the night before, I studied for everything, or I did the project the night before and handed it in, stayed up all night. That's very common with people with ADHD. Due to different things like executive functioning, the kind of challenges with planning, with being motivated to do the work, with their Memory, maybe re- not realizing that it was due next week or whatever, is also time blindness, underestimating how long something's going to take, overestimating how much time you actually have to do the thing. That can catch people out all the time. And also perfectionism. That's often very, very common in people with ADHD, especially having very high standards and not stopping until you meet them. And when you meet them, throwing dirt on it. Oh yeah, I met them, but it wasn't as good in the end, or it's not as good. I'm getting praised for this, but I don't believe it, or I don't deserve it. There's this like constant dialogue going on. People are just cutting themselves down all the time. Often that's how people have gotten that far in life with being neurodiverse and not knowing it. They've been motivated by their criticism or other people criticizing them, but they're going to suffer for it. They might have made deadlines, but their self-belief is going to be very low and their morale and yeah. And while also the wiring is constantly being with our neuroplasticity, I mean, the more you tell yourself, I'm not any good at this, I'm not doing a good job, then the more your brain goes, yeah, okay, fine. If that's what you say, that's what we believe. Yes, exactly. The brain believes everything you tell it. And what you pay attention to grows. 
you know, if you're paying attention to, oh, I'm terrible or I'm disorganized all the time or I do a terrible job or I shouldn't be here because I seem like I have to work so much harder than Mary who does this job in three hours. It takes me all night. That must mean that I'm not good. And therefore there's imposter syndrome. I shouldn't really be here, should I, if I can't do it as quickly as so-and-so. There's that constant thing going on. And yeah, exactly. Like you said, but the brain believes whatever we tell it. Mm. And, and the thing is to pay attention to what you're paying attention to, right? Stopping, pausing throughout the day and just checking in. Are my thoughts lifting me up or are they keeping me down? Wow. That's you know, nice. just checking in and pay attention to what you're paying attention to. That's like, I can hear my teacher's voice in my head there, my tutor's voice. And it's so true. Of course, it's easier said than done because when you have ADHD and executive functioning challenges, you're going to forget. <laughs> you're going to forget to do this. And oftentimes things that worked like reminders on your phone, time to check in or whatever, three times a day, there'll come a time when you start ignoring it. Because with ADHD, things get old, they lose their sparkle very quickly. And so you have to get creative. And how else can I remind myself to do this check-in and all of that? So it's often very cyclical for a while. Oh, I'm getting on great. I'm doing this and that. I've put a few things in place, a few strategies at work. And then one will fall away and then the rest will just go quickly after. And then there'll be a struggle and then it'll come up to, okay, I need to sort this out. And so the same thing will happen again. So there's this very familiar pattern with ADHD and people with executive functioning challenges that permeates work and personal life. Yeah. And there's people I know who I can relate that to. But there are some things that you talk about, like, I mean, I have a noise sensitivity. I can remember sitting sure. in an office in Manchester. And I mean, this would drive anyone mad anyway. I think there, there was a jackhammer across the way and it went on for weeks on end. But it was actually so bad that I felt physically ill going into the yes. office. And I was sharing an office with another colleague who it didn't bother him at all. He couldn't even <laughs> understand. And I was like, how can you sit here? I mean, I was I was actually feeling physically ill from the noise and so I guess there are like little snippets of different things that even I might call myself neurotypical but -hmm. there'll be something that I have because none of us really are we're all uniquely wired I guess yes yeah exactly yeah but the other thing I wanted to say was that and maybe this is that really crap 90s tv programs but there used to be these kids and they all had ADHD on this cartoon and it was all about like hyperactivity and I think that's Mm. what perhaps my generation and I could speak for my generation maybe I can't but I'm going to has grown (laughs) up thinking that ADHD is people running around in circles like crazy and then being given Ritalin and being slowed down so I think there's more to it somehow so what is ADHD soon no, you're right. And thank you so much for bringing that up. It is important. So ADHD used to be ADD, attention deficit disorder. And then there was the hyperactive ADHD, attention deficit hyperactive disorder. So then they did away with the ADD part a few years back, but usually it's three components. So there's the inattentiveness, which is often more commonly seen in, in school age girls, but obviously we can have girls with hyperactive traits too. So it's like looking at the window, often the report cards are like, could do better, doesn't try hard enough. There's like all of those phrases that 
women with ADHD are, you know, I see loads of posts about that online, often very quiet as well and living in their own heads. Basically, your whole world happens in your head with inattentive ADHD. There is cognitive hyperactivity because there's a lot of different streams of thoughts going on at once. And certainly hyperactive ADHD is the stereotypical schoolboy can't sit down, bouncing off the walls, nonstop energy. And these are both extremes, extreme examples. There is also the impulsivity in there as well. That's a very important and main part of ADHD. There can be some hyperactive traits in the inattentive, like cognitive hyperactivity. People with predominantly hyperactive ADHD can have some inattentive traits, like keeping things inside their head and all of those things that I was talking about earlier. And there's also a combined type, which I have actually combined ADHD. Those are the main types. And then there's a few subtypes that are more commonly known in the States, not so much in Europe. So it might be like that when you look back, I remember when I did the assessment, when I was answering the assessment, there were so many things in there that I had no idea were caused by ADHD, like obscure things as well. surprised me always having to fidget with somebody or, or something, <laughs> chewing the top of the pen. I mean, oh, Jenny Mac, all the tops of my pens were gone, like within a day, chewed to bits. And that was in school and as well, that was boredom. But often people with ADHD need something else to fidget with. Now that I said that word, that feels like something I, I should mention because ADHD is an interest-based nervous system. So if you're not interested in it, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to do it. It's possible, but it will come at a cost to your well-being, to your mental health, like a job that you don't like or they are not interested in. If you have ADHD, chances are you're not going to be very happy. And of course, as a society, we are encouraged to work with we're strong at certain things. Now let's look at what we're not so strong at and develop. That doesn't work with ADHD. You've got to really enhance those strengths. You've got to develop a strong awareness of your own strengths. Employers need to have an awareness of employees with ADHD. What are their strengths and how can I help draw those out so that work goes smoothly? So if like John was great at doing a certain project, but he wasn't able to put the slideshow together to do the presentation. That's always where there were delays or whatever. It might be that he didn't want to do the presentation and just didn't know how to say it. Or often finishing tasks, people with ADHD, finishing tasks are really difficult. And whoever's listening to this and knows they have ADHD or suspects it, they're going to be going, oh my gosh, it's so true. I have so many like projects I started lying around the place that got to a certain point, like 80%, and I just totally lost interest. So whoever is working with Johnny or Johnny himself is going to be like, look, I'm brilliant at this and this and this. Somebody else needs to do this part because this is where I consistently get stuck. And so if somebody else can go in and, and help with this part, then maybe I can do the presentation or not, whatever. But I'm really, really good at this and it makes me happy and I'm in flow. I don't feel great about myself when I do this and it affects the rest of my work. Let's take this away. So it's basically strengths-based. And I would extend that to, to anyone in the workplace as well. There are people who can come along and do that part that Johnny didn't want to do who are fantastic at presentations. And then you ask them to do the numbers and they can't do right. the numbers to save their life and they get upset. And even if they don't have ADHD, they're still going to be pissed off and upset and fed up with work. 
I mean, it might not sure. be as taxing on them to yes. do it. But I think, you know, workplaces playing to people's strengths makes oh, a yeah. huge, huge, huge difference. And the same in, for school kids. The report card comes back and there's five A's and two C's. And all everybody looks at usually is how do you get those C's to be A's? Yeah. Instead yeah. of going, wow, you got five A's. That is just incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, can we get the C's to a B maybe or one of them? And like you said, we spend a lot of time looking at what's lacking as opposed mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. what's there in front of you. And I think that's where I'd like to go next is people with ADHD. So some parts of their brain don't work like normal people in an, in, in inverted commas. And I use that term sure. very lightly here. But sure. what, what absolute talents do they bring to the world? What are their superpowers that we can all tap into that we don't know about? Mm-hmm. That's a fabulous question. And there are plenty of superpowers. Obviously, it's going to be different for everybody with ADHD, what they're really good at. But the superpowers come from the strengths. What makes people, what makes them come alive? Where do they feel most useful? Where do they feel most ignited and motivated? And where are they happiest? Those are the areas that need to be enhanced and focused on in order for those like superpowers to come out. And there's also very out of the box thinking. That's the that's so very the creativity sort of, and the innovation creativity. that workplaces oh gosh, are yeah. always looking for. Yes, exactly. Creativity, innovation and high interest. This is a stereotype, but people working in tech, there's often people with ADHD and autism working in tech because it's an area that often, you know, it, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for now? It Absorbs. kind of, ni- yeah, I suppose it naturally invites hyper-focus and, and somebody can get really deep into developing something, software or something like that, and they can work for like hours and days and come up with something amazing and don't disturb them, just leave them at it. And, and they love it. And it's really exciting and all that. And off they go. And actually some of these companies have got neurodiverse or autism hiring programs because they know the value of people who think differently and people who are wired differently. Anyone can have hyperfocus, but certainly people who are neurodiverse talk about that a lot, having hyperfocus and being able to go off and create. And can you ask me the question again? <laughs> no, you've answered it. You've answered it. Have so I? That's okay. fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I'm sure there's so much more I could say. I think that's the, the I have the feeling in my head. There's loads of things like lined up that I could say about this, but they're all kind of gray and they're not popping out in a very obvious way. So I have the feeling that they're there, but maybe I've said enough. I don't know. No, but I think it's taking an, a person centric approach, an individualized approach, looking at the whole person. And you asked about what makes you happy, what ignites you, all of those things. And maybe your work day can't be full of those things, but at least if you can get enough of it to sustain you day to day, so you're not going around feeling shame or stigma or exhibiting behavior that makes it look to others like you're being difficult or you're just a procrastinator or whatever it might be. Yeah. That for mm-hmm. others to understand, Shun, 
She's normally amazing at everything we ask her to do. But when we ask her to photocopy these pages, she goes off in a huff. Yes. And then I'm going to take that personally because she doesn't want to do it for me because I'm her boss. Yes. And that's the narrative that plays out rather than going, actually, Shoe, every time I ask you to photocopy, what goes through your head? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because she might not even realize that she's doing that. Yeah. Or that she Shun feels says, like that. Or... Do your own bloody photocopying. No, but yeah. you know. <laughs> or, or else I'm terrified of the photocopier because there's so many buttons. This is actually true, a true story for me. Every time at work, if someone asks me to photocopy something, I'd be like, oh, are you serious? And I'd just go and ask someone else to do it because I was just totally overwhelmed by it. It was like a cockpit of an airplane or something. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> See that like that? That's brilliant. I did not know that. It was the first thing that popped into my head. So I'm going to say that that was some kind of sisterly communication that was going yeah. on there through the airwaves. That Cookie. that was the example I picked. <laughs> but I just wanted to say that there's one other thing I I because in some of the research I was doing, one thing that stood out was people with ADHD are great lie detectors. Is that something that you would agree with? Yeah, definitely. There's something called justice sensitivity, which people with ADHD or autism, like an, an inability to lie, or sort of an overwhelming propensity to kind of say what's happening, matter of fact. I mean, there's so many crossovers with ADHD and autism, but just to say things how they are, that is also because double speak can be very difficult to understand. So something that's inferred, that's going to go right over my head. I'm not going to get that. And then and then I go ahead and do it. And someone's like, I just told you not to do it. And I'm like, no, you just said so like flowery words that meant nothing to me. So I didn't get the message. And that's another thing, like clear communication is very important as well. And you can feel the inauthenticity. It like maybe forced social meeting or something like that. It can be excruciating. They're like, oh, I don't want to this, I don't want to be here. There's no point. And nobody means it. I can feel that this is meaningless. I want something that actually you know, has meaning because this is a waste of time. Otherwise that could be doing something else. I suppose calling out injustices as well. People with ADHD or autism are often known for like speaking up in meetings saying, well, that's not fair. Or you can't talk to that person like that or whatever, you know, like calling people out for treating others badly and just not putting up with it. That's also a strong trait. And you get a lot of people with ADHD becoming activists and things like that but because often there's unfiltered empathy which can even be disadvantageous for the person with ADHD because they can end up giving and giving and giving and not realizing that they don't have any boundaries in place to protect themselves professionally intellectually whatever it may be emotionally in particular emotionally and in work that can look like somebody who's you know saying yes all the time can you do that for me? Yeah, of course. And blah, blah, blah. And ended up staying hours late and working themselves into burnout because they don't want to say no, because they want to help people. They want to people, please. They want to prove to themselves that they can do it all. They want to prove to others they can do it all because they've always felt that they can't or that they're subpar somehow because their brain doesn't work the same as everyone else's. So there's a lot of that that goes on as well with, with ADHD. Wow. I said a lot, a lot there now, didn't I? <laughs> there's a lot of that. <laughs> But like what's fascinating is there is a lot and it can be something that's just dismissed. ADHD is just something over there that impacts children. 
And maybe people who are experiencing some of the things that you've talked about in this episode, who may never even have thought that they have ADHD, or people who see it in a spouse or a sibling, Mm -hmm. that actually, I guess, having an assessment or something, I mean, what have you got to lose? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there, depending on where you are, it can be tricky to get assessments there's you know I know in here in well in Ireland there's a real shortage of specialists in the UK I think it's kind of the same there's a you can get on the NHS but you might be waiting a couple of years and going private that puts people off I think often people usually go and do online assessments as a start which can be useful and of course it's just a computer it's not a person in front of you who's going to have a deeper awareness and knowledge of ADHD and the different kinds of traits. So what would you recommend yeah. to someone listening if they thought that uh, I know my sister sounds like this or my brother is like that or my husband or my wife or my colleague or I feel like that? What would you recommend as a first step? There are different websites you could go to, like, for example, ADHD Ireland or what's the one in the UK? ADHD UK, I think it's called. In the States, it's called CHAD, C-H-A-D-D dot org. That's another place. And they're going to have a database who can help diagnose or even just provide support in different ways and provide outlining information about the different kinds of ADHD. I guess that that's a start. And I suppose paying attention as well to your inner dialogue. Yeah. Yes, that's definitely, that is absolutely so helpful. It's so helpful if if you can remember to do it. It is a really challenging thing to remember to do those things, those strategies. But if you can find a way even to start off with, even if it's just once a day that you start off with, just noticing, noticing what's going on inside. And also if you can learn to do that without judgment, because often people will be like, you know, so I paused and I stopped and I noticed that I was being hard on myself or judging myself for something. And I thought, ah, would you stop? You don't need to feel <laughs> like, okay, what the, that language is, there's judgment in that language that you're using when you notice those thoughts. How about, can you notice them as if they're looking over somebody's shoulder and you're just listening into their mind? And you're just curious. Oh, that's interesting. There goes that thought again. I wonder what that's about. And then move on. You, you don't have to do anything. It's just building a practice without pressure, you know, to, to get to know yourself better. Developing emotional awareness can have huge benefits, huge, huge life-changing benefits. Absolutely. And then finally, from the buyer or colleague, co-worker perspective, and we've touched on this a couple of times, but I suppose what I would say is, understand behavior and ask for clarification ask for reasons try and understand what's going on with somebody don't make assumptions and don't take it personally and for employers try to accommodate every type of person and get them working to their best yeah absolutely watching out for where the strengths are and encouraging that, you know, strength-based workplace, my goodness, that would be absolutely incredible and life-changing. And yeah, what you said there stood out, they don't take it personally. 
it's no actually forget that that's i don't know where that that thought just went away (laughs) it's been brilliant talking to you and we've actually overrun which hardly ever happens and and i think we could talk a bit more so maybe we'll pick up one or two of these things in the future and and talk a bit more in depth because the emotion side is is really interesting the emotional awareness and having a conversation maybe around that or there are other things in there as well but in the meantime if somebody listening would like to know more or find you or connect with you, how might they do that? Sure. Well, through my website, uniquelywiredcoaching.com um, or Instagram. I'm on Instagram as well at uniquelywired ADHD coach. All of my contact details are on there. So they can easily reach me that way. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your own experience as well as your professional experience. Because when you bring the personal and professional together like that, it really comes through. And anyone that would want to know more from you, they have an advocate in their corner, which is always a great way to see things, I think. Absolutely. And the personal and professional, the theme is being the ability to be yourself authentically yourself not only in your personal life but in your work life and it's marrying those those two together I guess that's so important bringing that humanity in bringing yourself in you're the secret sauce you're the wonderful person who brings all those wonderful things to the world and why not share them with others including work yeah yeah that's beautiful thank you Thank you, Susan. And that's that's it. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you. I've really, really enjoyed it. I cool. love a chance to talk about ADHD and nerd out. So thank you. You're most welcome. <laughs> Bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you know who would enjoy it too. I believe we are all entitled to enjoy our work. And the future of work life will be changed by those who put people first and create more fulfilling work lives for themselves, their colleagues, their teams and organisations. If you have any suggestions for topics you'd like to have covered, guests you'd like to hear from or questions for me, please drop a line to susan at beyond-thenumbers.com. And finally, please consider leaving a review.